Hi, I'm Christy Lee, the creator of Canadian True Crime. Join me for an immersive deep dive into some of the most thought-provoking true crime cases in Canada. Using facts curated from court documents, inquiry reports, and news archives, I carefully unravel and analyze each case, exposing the pitfalls of the criminal justice system that everyone needs to know about. Find Canadian True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts or visit canadiantruecrime.ca. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Imagine being accused of something truly terrible. Imagine if for 20 years, rumors had swirled around that you had something to do with a young woman's disappearance. What would you do? This is the story of two men. One, eager to clear his name. Another, who has chosen to stay silent. Two very different responses from two very different guys. Christopher William Adair, William Curry. So far in this series, I've explored allegations that one or both of these men may be connected with Lisa Marie Young's disappearance. I've laid out what exactly is known about Christopher Adair's interactions with Lisa the night she vanished and what I've been able to learn about his past criminal behavior. Chris has never agreed to an interview with me. He has never spoken publicly about that night. William Curry, on the other hand, is seemingly anxious to clear his name. So much so that he drives across the island to meet with me in person. Like people talk about, where's the tapes? <laughs> There's a snuff movie, where's the tapes? I just have to stand straight and face whatever comes my way on this. I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Where is Lisa? Island Crime, Season 1. Episode 14, Speak Up or Shut Up. In past episodes, you've heard Christopher Adair's former friends, colleagues, and from two police officers about their experiences with him. I've spoken at length with some of Chris's family members. But this is the first time I've been able to publish one of those conversations. There's a lot of, um, I guess, bad history on that side of the family, which is kind of why I wanted to speak to you. In the summer of 2022, I received an email through the Island Crime website. It begins... I just happened upon your podcast, more specifically, the one about Lisa. I was shocked to hear the name Chris Adair. Chris is my relative. We exchange emails back and forth for some time. They want to talk to me, but they're conflicted, wary of causing trouble for other family members. The relation you're about to hear from has asked I keep their identity confidential and that their voice be altered. We will simply call them Pat. I don't have any relationship with Chris now at this point in my life or much to do with that side of the family just because of history and the kind of people that they are. I know they're a very like close-knit group. Pat here is speaking about Chris's sister's and mom. 
the only one I've like had any major interaction with was Chris. Chris was the only one that like ever actually reached out to me to meet me or talk to me. Yeah, I remember when Facebook first kind of was a thing. I got a friend request from him and I remember somehow I was talking to my mom about it. And this is kind of when I first found out about all this stuff that Chris was involved in. And my mom basically told me, you know, don't interact with him. Nothing good comes from being involved with Chris. And obviously I'm a, I'm a teenager, right? So I'm like, well, I don't, you know, do I necessarily want to listen to my parents? Uh, like, let me make my own decision. And so that's kind of when I started talking to him. Yeah, we just kind of talked about our family, like where, just getting to know each other, basically. Like, where are we on the, like, where, how do our family trees line up? Like, my dad had told me some stories about him as a kid growing up, and I kind of laughed about that kind of stuff. I know my dad always said he was, like, a really quiet kid, um, and that he was always a little strange. Um, there was a story where and my dad started laughing about it, but I guess there was at somebody's house, um, I don't know whose, there was like a, basically like a broken down car and Chris was like playing around it. And I guess eventually either got like some matches or a lighter and dropped them into the gas tank. And it basically like blew up and caught his face on fire. Yeah, I was talking to talking to Chris about it, and he was like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I was like, that's really weird. Like, glad you're okay. Probably a good life lesson learned there. I know he was in Alberta. We talked about that and talked about, like, meeting up um, when I came out there. And then I know he moved, ended up going to, to Japan. I'm not sure if he went somewhere else in Asia, either before then or after then. I remember seeing, like, updates from him about going to Turkey. I believe he got married. The sisters, anyways, all went over there when he got married. I don't know if he's still married. These two aren't close, but they form a bit of a bond. And so when Chris suggests getting on board one of his multi-level marketing schemes, Pat agrees to do so. He got me involved in a few of his MLMs, so that was nice. Yeah, just like a waste of money on my part, I guess. He's a good salesman, right? Like he can definitely, oh yeah, you're going to make some money, you know, going to university and stuff, like getting me involved in that and was like, yeah, it'll help you pay for it. It never did. We kind of lost touch at that point. In adulthood, Pat observes a continued closeness between Chris and his siblings. I get the feeling that it's very clicky. I know that they've had a lot of trauma, I would say, growing up and with family history. They just keep close to one another to kind of try to protect each other. And I definitely feel like, I don't know, kind of you... You know that you can trust each other and that they'll always have your back kind of thing. I've tried to get close and never been able to and always just kind of felt like I was treated like an outsider. So I think that, that in my opinion, that they're just like, yeah, we, we have all gone through so much in our lives. 
like their mother and obviously this situation probably plays into effect. I'm sure they know something and just don't want to say anything. I believe that everyone is kind of in agreement that yes, he could have done it and that Jerry could have definitely helped him get away with it. That's kind of my conclusion. Pat here is expressing an opinion based on their observations over time of this part of their family. We talk for a while about childhood memories they have of Chris's grandmother, Jerry Adair. Jerry is now deceased. Jerry helped raise Chris. He was driving her car the night Lisa vanished. She threatened to sue Lisa's parents for what she viewed as harassment in the aftermath of Lisa's disappearance. So understanding Jerry could be important in putting together this puzzle. Pat recalls Jerry as a woman determined to get her way. They use the word mean, describing Jerry as the kind of person who will hold a grudge forever. They tell me the consensus in their family is that if anyone was capable of helping to cover up a crime, it would be Jerry. Jerry had lots of money and resources, and they believe it was Jerry who was responsible for getting Chris off the island and telling him never to come back. I only know of one instance where he went back to the island, and that was for Jerry's funeral. And I know during the funeral, actually, one of my cousin's vehicles got stolen. And they eventually ended up finding it, but I just remember thinking with all of this stuff that's going on, obvious, like it's just weird that the one time Chris is back for a family thing, somebody's vehicle gets stolen. You know what I mean? Like it just seems weird. And not that I'm saying it was his fault, but it's just like the coincidence of it is like things seem to seem to constantly be following this guy. Bad things seem to happen when he comes around. And today... Pat is uncomfortable with what she views as Chris's furtive behavior. Like, what's all the, why all the secrecy, why all the running away and hiding, you know? I ask why they've decided to speak to me now, what they hope could come of their participation in this podcast. It turns out Pat is actually more concerned now about Lisa's family than their own. I, I can't I can't even imagine um, what they're going through and that's got to be hard. I have a small child and I can't I can't even imagine what I would do or go through if something like that happened to my to my daughter. And that's kind of why I wanted to reach out because I just feel like if you truly had nothing to do with it, then why all the hiding? Why all the disappearing? Why, why go through all that? I understand that it would probably be tiring to, you know, kind of the light is on you as the last person who's seen her. But if it was me and I knew that I had nothing to do with it, I would be doing everything in my power to make sure that everyone knew that and felt that and knew that I was being genuine as much as I could, you know? So it just, it just seems weird to me and... Yeah, I think there are family members who know more than maybe they want to let on. I just hope for the best and putting that positive energy out into the universe, I guess, that hopefully something does happen. 
Chris, what happened after you took Lisa to Subway that night? Where did you go? When did you last see her alive? These are questions I'd like to ask Chris Adair. So, Chris, if you're listening, I'd still very much like to speak with you. I'm reachable at laura at laurapalmer.ca. When I began work on Lisa Marie Young's story back in 2019, I had a goal of separating fact from fiction. Lisa vanished from Nanaimo on the Canada Day weekend in 2002. In the more than 20 years since her disappearance, a powerful story has taken hold in the community she called home. There are various versions of the rumor, but at its core, the story goes something like this. Lisa is taken to a house party where she is drugged, assaulted, and killed. Some versions include the dark detail that there is a snuff film made that night. A film that many believe still exists. The story also goes that Lisa's remains are buried and then subsequently moved. Now, that's the rumor. As far as the known facts of the case, this is what I can confirm happened. Lisa leaves behind a group of friends at a gathering in the early hours of June 30th. She is in the company of Christopher William Adair, a young man driving his grandmother's red jag. She calls her friend Dallas Hully, saying that she's in the jag in a driveway on Bowen Road, and they won't let her leave. Now, there are names consistently raised those who are allegedly there that night, who hold some responsibility for what happened to Lisa. The name Willie Curry is one of them. In my years investigating this story, I've had dozens of people tell me they believe William Curry is in some way involved. They know someone who knows someone who told them a story. Or they tell me they know William Curry. They allege he has hurt them or someone they know. They believe his rumored involvement in Lisa's disappearance. But to date, no one has ever told me they witnessed William Curry with Lisa. Not the night she disappeared, not ever. And so Willie Curry has been trying to put an end to this rumor for two decades. The day I'm meeting Willie Curry face to face for the first time is cold. It's the first day I've seen snow on the mountains. It's an exceptionally beautiful day in the Alberni Valley. The leaves are turning colors and falling steadily from the trees like rain. We are meeting at the Riverbend Cafe. It's a little roadside stop near where the Somas River meets the Alberni Inlet. It's been there since 1936 and has recently been renovated with some really nice vintage touches. It's one of my favorite spots for coffee. I arrive early. I order a drink and grab a table in the corner overlooking the parking lot. 
It's one of those old chrome and formica kitchen tables. We had one in our house when I grew up. It's 10 after the morning rush and the place is quiet. I've only seen one picture of William Curry before and I'm not sure when that photo was taken. So I don't really know what he looks like. A middle-aged guy with a ball cap and plaid jacket enters, orders a coffee, and stands waiting by the front. I try to catch his eye. Eventually, I walk over and ask him if his name is Willie. It's not. A few minutes after that, a balding, portly gentleman with glasses and a black turtleneck enters. Once again, I stroll to the counter and inquire if he might be William. He's not. I suspect it's beginning to look like I'm on a blind date. I settle back at the table, checking my recorder, reviewing the list of questions I want to go over with Willie Curry. We've only spoken once before. I remember being surprised at his willingness to speak with me. When I made the call that day, I'd expected him to hang up. Afterwards, the RCMP asked if I would hand over the raw tape from that conversation. Now, I didn't do that. It's my position that if I want sources to talk to me, they need to know they can trust me, to know that I don't work for the police, that I'm not beholden to anyone except the victim. In this case, 21-year-old Lisa Marie Young. I came away from that brief phone call with William Curry feeling like he and I weren't done talking. And so here I sit, waiting for William Curry, a man whose alias was once Killer Curry. He arrives on time in a white pickup truck. He's accompanied by his girlfriend, a woman with lengthy blonde hair, wearing a stylish long coat. She gets out of the vehicle to walk a brindled colored dog that looks like a boxer. Willie enters the cafe, catches my eye, and heads towards me. He's in his mid-50s with short, dark hair. He has a roundish face and he's wearing glasses. He's dressed in a long-sleeved light blue shirt, one of those high-tech activewear type shirts with a fabric that wicks moisture away. Willie used to be a boxer, and he still cuts an imposing form. But he's got a slight limp, and he's carrying a little extra weight. He reaches out to shake my hand, and we begin to talk. Okay. Good. Hey. Testing, one, two, three. Can you tell me what you had for breakfast? Uh, a cup of coffee. Coffee? Yeah. And how was the drive? The drive was great. Were you coming over the hump? Yep, no came over the hump. Snow? Uh, just a little bit, and there was some uh, a police officers at the top of the hill pulling over big trucks. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I think we're good to go. Before we started recording, you introduced yourself. Can yep. you do that again? Just uh, my so name's I... uh, William Curry. And do uh, you want to just tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, well, I'm 55 years old. I have uh, seven children altogether. Four of them I help raise with my ex-wife. 
uh, three of them um, uh, had been raised by the other mother's parents. Um, let's see here. Uh, recently, my father uh, became ill, so uh, I took him in, and he lives. He lives with me now, so I'm looking after him, and uh, I'm a hard worker. Yeah, I don't know what else really to yeah, say. That's great. Okay, I know this is going back. Twenty odd right. years now. So, but mm -hmm. as much as you can, in mm -hmm. as much detail as you can recall, I'm okay. going to ask you to just okay. try and remember. Okay. How, how do you first learn that your name is being tossed around in connection with Lisa um, in this case? I can't really recall that. All I know is I started hearing these uh, this rumors that I had something to do with it, and I'm not quite sure what the rumors were. But after a while, I started understanding, and one of them was something about that um, I was we were selling some kind of mud, some cream, some mud that you put on for facial stuff, and uh, some woman started going on about um, uh, how that I don't even like to speak like this, but how uh, Lisa's body's at the bottom of this mud pile that we got, and that's where we're getting this clay from and stuff like that. To, you know, and it's like, what? Um, I think I first heard of it was on the internet. Uh, I guess um, somebody said that she was last seen or something at my house or something like that on Twiggly Wiggly where I live with my family, right? So I think that was the first time I've heard, I heard something about it, yeah. When you're hearing those kind of rumors at that point, mm -hmm. what what is the gist of the allegation of your involvement? What it was, it was, um, uh, I knew that the, the police put out a search for her and then canceled it, right? And I was like, well, why would they do that? I wasn't quite sure. Okay, so I thought, well, I'm going to help. I'm going to put some posters on my van. So I put some posters on my van. And um, after a little time went by and I didn't think that was enough. So uh, Bob, who's also part of this, whatever, she says part of it, whatever else, he said that he knew um, Lisa's father. So I said, well, could you put me in contact with him? Because I want to let him know that if the police aren't helping him, that I would be there to help him. So I phoned him up and I said, hi, my name is William Curry. And uh, uh, I would like to offer myself to you if you need anything. If you need a door kicked down or whatever else, I'll help you out. I'll I'll be there. And um, a week went by, and I thought I was going over to the mainland. And I thought, well, I'm going to want to hang up some posters. So I thought, well, I'm not going to phone the police to ask permission. So I phoned up Don, and I asked him to meet me at uh, Tim Hortons, mm -hmm. and if and I asked for permission to hang some posters for his daughter. So I didn't realize that it was Bob that first put you in touch with. Yeah. Him. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a note here. Willie is referring to Bob Gallagher, a friend of Lisa's father, Don Young. I introduced you to Bob in episode nine. Bob hadn't mentioned to me that it was him who put Willie in touch with Don Young. So I follow up with him to clarify this point, and he writes me back immediately. Most definitely not, he writes. I was not even aware that he had met with him until after it had happened. Don and I both worked at Perlator at that time, and I didn't find out about Curry's alleged involvement 
until some time after she disappeared. Now, this may or may not be significant, but it appears Willie and Bob remember this point differently. How soon after Lisa's disappearance is that? Is it? Is I, I believe it. I, I would think about it. Um, I think maybe eight months. Okay, so some time has has gone by. Yeah, it's not in the immediate. Yeah, maybe moment. six months or so. Maybe okay. six months. Yeah. Okay. And so, are the police talking to you at that point? No. 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 They came. Uh, uh, I think the. First time they brought it up, uh, I was working on a roof and they came by and got me off the roof and I had a chat with them in the back of the car. And then they took me down to the um, police station, I believe. I think if, if I recall properly. And they questioned me there. And then they came to me and said, well, do you want to do a polygraph? I said, why didn't you say that two years ago to me? So when they first come and talk to you, mm -hmm. what are they telling you about why you're on their radar at all? Um, I'm not 100% sure why. Right. Yeah, yeah, I can't recall. So they're yeah. asking you just like, what do you know about this or just? Yeah, yeah, basically. And uh, where I was that night and stuff. And I, I recollect that I was at home with my wife and I believe they questioned her and she said the same thing. So the night that Lisa went missing. So, yeah, so, yeah. And at that point, had they already heard this rumor about Lisa being taken to your home? Or are they asking you? I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. And I think you told me the last time we talked, right around that time, you're also, you're running an after hours club? Or yeah, I was running an after hours club, yeah. Right. Yeah, so, right downtown. Uh, uh, right where Wong's store used to be, right on a, the kind of a triangle kind of a building, in the okay. in the basement I had one, yeah. Right. Yeah. And but you never ran across Lisa. Never. No. Nope. Okay. Because she's nope. she's kind of at that time, my understanding is mm. she's working a little bit mm -hmm. in clubs and mm -hmm. she's certainly going out a lot. Right. Right. She may have been there, but I I never met her ever. No. Right. Yeah. And so, working as a roofer, you've got the after hours club going and you've got you're married and do you have kids at that yeah time? yeah i got yeah i had um uh four children at that time and so where where are you living at that point um, well i was living on twiggly wiggly 2260 twiggly wiggly road and is that a house that you owned at that yeah point? we owned it yeah me and my wife owned it yeah i think you know when the kind of rumor starts going around of mm. your of lisa being taken to a home that you're mm. at it's a home on bowen road on Bowen Road. Yeah, I don't know anything about that, but what I did hear through friends of my wife's, and they went to school together and they worked together as registered nurses, who own a place on Kennedy Street, yeah. was that Lisa stopped, they stopped by there, where yeah, she, was, she was at the house, she's seen the roommate went upstairs and seen the roommate before she left. And that's how I know that. But So was it, is it your understanding it was Lisa or Chris that went to see the roommate? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was, I'm pretty sure it was Lisa. I'm pretty right. sure, yeah. Yeah. And do you know why? No idea why. No. I have spoken with one of the owners of this Kennedy Street property, and I've confirmed that what Willie is saying is true. This is kind of a big deal. Up until now, this detail, this location of a place 
Lisa is seen that night has never been public knowledge. I'm still hoping to have a longer conversation with the owner, but for now, at least, I can confirm this detail concerning another location Lisa was at the night she vanished. I want to go back to the point where police asked you to take a polygraph. Yes. Can you, you, you told me this uh, a little in a short mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. on the phone, but can you just walk me through that? Because I've never met anybody who's taken one before. Oh, what, what goes oh, on? Oh, well, um, what, it, what it was, I got, um, I don't know how they brought it up to me, but when they did, I remember being relieved saying, why didn't you do this a year or two years ago? Right. That's perfect. That's good. And I didn't know that they don't release information. I didn't know that. Right. I thought they could clear my name and like in the paper or whatever else. Right. So I, uh, um, I was scheduled to take the polygraph on, I believe on a Monday or Tuesday. And I got a, all of a sudden they pulled me over, whatever, along in the nine somewhere and arrested me for a breach of, my conditions about not seeing my kids. And I think what it was, I seen one of my kids at the swimming pool. I was taking another little kid swimming with me mm-hmm. and I left. I said, hey, how you doing? Look at your dad, dad looking good. And the kids waved at me, whatever else. And I left and they breached me on that and they arrested me. So when they arrested me, I said, well, dude, guys, I'm supposed to be at the office on Monday or Tuesday to do this polygraph. How, how's that going to get done? Well, 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 we'll get it arranged. We'll get get them to come up there and see I go no you're not going to arrest me and tell me you know that ain't going to happen so what I think it was I think the police arrested me for they had me to do the polygraph I did the polygraph with my lawyer saying do not do the polygraph do not do it and because I wanted to say like I wanted I said to him I said well are they 100% and he said yeah they are so I said well then why wouldn't I do it like why wouldn't I do a polygraph? So, um, sorry, when you say, are they a hundred percent? Like the, the polygraph. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 And well, he, he said 97% or something like that. I'm not quite sure. And, um, uh, that was a lawyer from Victoria, Brad Hickford. Right. Um, and he's a pretty good lawyer up there and stuff like this. And most people would take his advice, but the fact was that I wanted to get it cleared up because I went to the family and I offered myself and oh, now all of this stuff's getting said yeah. and I'm feeling inside just horrible. So I think, well, this is a way to get my, get it cleared up, yeah. right? So when I, um, they called me up to, uh, to records while I was in jail, right? they called me up to records and I agreed to do it, right? Uh, they put the polygraph, all the little stickers on and stuff and um, I was nervous and I was like, what if they're trying to frame me? What if they're trying to frame me? And I took the things off a couple of different times, right? And they calmed me down, got me to relax. And they asked me the questions and they asked if I had anything to do with Lisa's murder. And I said, no, and stuff. And then I said, well, after we're done, I said, well, what's the result? He goes, well, you're telling one, the truth 100%. I went, yeah. And I hugged Egan, the officer that uh, was setting up the polygraph. I hugged him. I said, get on that phone and phone, phone Mr. Young. Let him know right now. Let him know. Right? They said they were going to do that. And I was like, I was happier than happy. William Curry's former lawyer has not returned my calls. The RCMP will not comment on the outcome of the polygraph. And it's important to note that lie detector tests 
are not admissible in Canadian criminal courts. They're not viewed as reliable enough to decide someone's guilt or their innocence. Hi, I'm Christy Lee, the creator of Canadian True Crime. Join me for an immersive deep dive into some of the most thought-provoking true crime cases in Canada. Using facts curated from court documents, inquiry reports and news archives, I carefully unravel and analyse each case, exposing the pitfalls of the criminal justice system that everyone needs to know about. Find Canadian True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts or visit canadiantruecrime.ca. I don't think I can adequately describe just how strange this whole scene is. Here I am, sitting in my favourite coffee spot, surrounded by their lovely vintage posters and pop music from the 1960s playing quietly while they serve up fancy coffees. All the while, Willie Curry sits across from me, doing his level best to explain how it came to be that he has long been rumored to have been involved in Lisa Marie Young's disappearance. I stop from time to time to check my notes and ask him to clarify aspects of his story. I know you you are going out and helping with the search. Mm-hmm. Um, that's before and the polygraph or any of that. Yes. Concept, right? Okay. And so, because you, I think the last time I talked to you, you said not only are you searching, you also learn about Chris. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that was through an old timer, I think he might have passed on by now, by the name of Ken Switzer. Uh, he told me about this Chris guy that was uh, used to go to the Balmoral where there's dancers were there and stuff. And then how when he showed up there, there's a doorway between the hall and where, um, I guess the wing where they stay, the dancers and, and the hallway, anytime he was there, that the door was shut and locked. Yeah. And so who's Ken Switzer? Ken Switzer, just an old time prospector guy. So you're doing searches and you're looking for Lisa mm-hmm. and then you hear through this guy that mm-hmm. he knows Chris? Chris, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so how is it then, because I think you mentioned you end up going to Qualicum. Yes, I did. As yeah. well. So tell me about that. Um, well, let's see here. I, um, I found out that Chris had his grandmother, uh, Jerry O'Dare, and I know she's uh, was good in the community. I know she was good for the community and stuff. And so I just wanted to see what kind of vibes I would get off of her when I went up there. And I took a, a young lady by the name of Tanya with me up there and um, for she could stand beside me and she's like acting like my daughter and I'm looking to buy a house for us, right? right. And we ended up kind of sitting down with her and um, while I was talking with uh, Jerry O'Dare, so I know I knew there was something bothering like something was wrong like right yeah and that's as far as i went with that i didn't go any further with that yeah so but your your goal in going there was was what well was to get closer to jerry o'dare Mm -hmm. to get close to her and um can't remember why we didn't go look at a place yeah but it, it was to get close to her to see if i could get closer to this chris fella did she shed any light at all on No, I didn't bring the, bring it up. Okay. No, I didn't talk about it or nothing like that. So okay. I just uh, played the role like I was a 
a guy buying a house or right. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't go any further with that. I don't, I'm not quite sure why I didn't go any further with that. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I could have got her to show me a house. And actually, what I was going to truly try to do with her was romance her. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like romance her, buy her some flowers and stuff, and right. bring her a bottle of wine and stuff. That's what I was thinking of doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And can you tell me? Because it sounds like you're quite invested mm -hmm. at that point mm -hmm. in trying to learn what you can. Yeah. Like, what What other steps are you taking, or who are you talking? To? Um. Well, one of them at the beginning, right? I had my uh, daughter, uh, one of my daughters, that went to NDSS, and I got her to introduce me to the principal there. And I went to the principal and I say, would it be possible that we could use your grounds and set, do a search thing and have the base at the school? And he said, no, I don't think that would work. Uh, there's programs for that and the police are looking after that. And I, so that got shut down. Right. And my idea was, was to get a bunch of people together and get them to just clear their mind and wherever people's mind would take them. Like you say, um, what do you call that place? Um, see Piper's Lagoon or something like that. See if, you know, 50 people thought of Piper's Lagoon, you know, well, let's start, let's look there and stuff. That's what my goal was to do something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you, I think the last time we talked, you said you were also going out in your vehicle and yeah. doing searches. Yeah. Well, I've only, I only did that maybe three times, maybe four times. And I had uh, one, a fellow with me all the time. His name was uh, Jimmy Vu. And uh, we'd just go for drives and we'd find clothes. And only a couple of times I dropped stuff off at the police station. Like it wasn't like 10 times or nothing like that. Yeah. Do you remember where specifically you're going? Um, just down dirt roads and stuff. Yeah, I can't really uh, think about where we went. Um, up on Nanaimo Lakes. Up behind in Cap, up by Cassidy, maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Up by Cassidy. Yep. Yeah. About, yeah, that's like, that's all I can think of right now. Yeah. And is there anything in particular that's directing those searches? Has has anyone you talked to said no. go here? No. Or... No, no, no. Right. Okay. Just just the thought of okay, well, where do we go? Okay, well let's try going down this road and whatever else and we just drive. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now I, I don't know Jimmy. Who, who, yeah. who is who's he? He was a Vietnamese guy in town and um he was a drug dealer in town. Oh. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um but he was a he was a good guy. He was a good man, right? And when he seen that I was had posters on my van and stuff like this, he wanted to help. Right? So I didn't turn him down. Like I said, sure, okay, well you want to come for a drive with me and we'll Right. gather these clothes up for, for that way there's a witness there too right that you know they could say oh we found these clothes here or whatever else yeah and had you ever up until this time ever gotten involved in anything like this in terms of like helping oh yeah 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 i always um where this reputation might have came from uh of me being rough tough guy is i don't really believe in fees right and when my neighbors would get their house broken into, they would get all their stuff back. I would get all their stuff back. You see? Yeah. Okay. And you can call that vigilante or whatever you like, but uh, I just always felt it was the right thing to do. Like, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I've always kind of put my time in. Like even to 
nowadays, like there was a, uh, a thing they had set up in Nanaimo where uh, they had a tent set up and all the drug addicts were going there and using yeah. their drugs and stuff like this. Well, I um, thought, oh, gee, in my spare time, I'll go there once a week and cook them a meal. So I would go there once a week and cook them a meal and stuff like this. And people on the street, like even nowadays, like when they when it's cold out and they got like nowhere to go, yeah. they come knocking at my door. Not on my upstairs door where I live, but the downstairs door. And there's usually always somewhere for them to crash out on the floor and then get up and leave in the morning. I want to go back to that that rumor, and I do want to ask you more about your kind of work, sort of investigating and searching mm -hmm. in the aftermath. Uh, that that rumor. Um, it's, it's weird because it's always this same kind of core rumor and versions mm -hmm. of it with a number of different people's names attached to it. Okay. Um, including a woman named Yeah. Now, do you know her? Yes, I know If I know her better today than I did back then. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew her through her son. Is she living at the Nanaimo Lakes Road place or no? Uh, when? Now? No, sorry, back then. Oh, I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Right. Because that's the other... There's a couple of locations that are always talked about in this rumor. Right, there's right. Lisa... And we know that Lisa does call from mm -hmm. an address on Bowen Road. Mm -hmm. But we don't... Or I don't know... Right. ...what that location is. Oh, oh you can. The, the rumor is always that it's a party at your place. Like, so you you no. don't have a place on. I don't I don't ever I have I had kids and my 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 ex-wife was a registered nurse and there was never no parties at my house ever. Right. But and you're and you're not living on Bowen Road at that point. No, no. I lived on Twiggly Wiggly Road. Right. And I guess the the kind of connection after that to the next property is allegedly this Nanaimo Lakes Road property. Yeah, I don't know which exact property you're talking about, yeah. but I heard that Ray Frisell's place got searched or something like that, but yeah. that's all I know of. I, so who's, who's that? Um, Ray and Brian Frisell, their father left them this chunk of land along the Nemo Lakes Road. Yeah, that's all I know. I don't... Ray fixes bikes and uh, Brian's uh, like a mechanic kind of guy and... Uh, does a bunch of uh, engineer work and stuff like that, yeah. Right. Which is just, it's out of the question. Yeah, no, they, they wouldn't have nothing to do with anything like that. I asked the RCMP whether they can confirm that this property was the focus of a police search for Lisa. They tell me they can't confirm any locations they have or haven't searched in order to protect the integrity of the investigation. This location was recently the focus of a hazardous property assessment after multiple fires broke out in the structures, vehicles, and debris in the area. As for Willie Curry's assertion that the brothers would have nothing to do with Lisa's disappearance— it's worth noting, perhaps, that both the brothers do have assault charges on their publicly available criminal records. And in 2004, Brian pled guilty to the shooting death of a local man. Neither of them have been charged with any crime related to Lisa's disappearance. No one has. I'm conscious that this level of detail could be tedious for casual true crime podcast listeners. But I'm also aware that even a small piece of information 
could push the investigation forward. So please bear with me. You had a reputation at that point mm -hmm. as being kind of a tough guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And... See, for me to drive around with posters on my van was, was different. It was different, right? But it was a, it was a lack of the police, in, like the information of them canceling the, the uh, searches and stuff that got me, well, wait a minute, oh, well, I, I care. And if this family doesn't know that people out there don't care, then they're like, where's humanity going? I was thinking to myself. And I know the police had the reasons for whatever they did, whatever else, I don't, I don't know, right? But at that time, I didn't think that. I thought, well, they, they don't give a shit. That, that's what I thought. Yeah. So I put the post on my thing. That was, that was different. So, um, well, like I say, one of my friends said, well, what are you doing driving around without it? Well, they're going to blame, they're going to pin that on you. I said, what, the, what are you talking about? And at that time, I was training to fight. Or a little bit after that, I was training to fight on the fourth uh, of March and yeah. March sixth, and um, uh, I guess some of them could have got a little bit jealous or whatever else. And yeah, that's what I'm assuming. You know, I don't really know. When they go out and search for Lisa and stuff, yeah. like you know how it makes me feel that I can't be there. Like I can be there, and I want to be there. Like I mean, there's another search for her. If you can let me know, I'll go there. Right. Yeah, I want to go there, and I want to say, I, I want to face the people. Like, I'm okay with that, yeah. 100%. You you never, or do you ever end up talking to him? No, ever, no. So he never calls when no. he hears that you're being connected with any of this? No, and, no. Okay. no. And did you ever, at any point in all of this, meet up with him? Does he ever? Never. No. No, I don't, we couldn't even tell you what he looked like. I have no idea even what he looks like. In October 2023, Wondry's Generation Y podcast devoted an episode to Lisa Marie Young's disappearance. They spoke with the hosts of True North True Crime, and they discussed the rumor of the snuff film tape. Here's how Willie Curry reacted to that news. Like people talk about, where's the tapes? <laughs> There's a snuff movie. Where's the tapes? Like, come on. Like, I, I just have to stand straight and face whatever comes my way on this, right? And yeah. look somebody eye to eye and talk to them just like this. Yeah, because okay. I'm fine. Because whoever said that, who told you that? Mm -hmm. Someone told you what to put in a, 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 a well with a bunch of clay in it. Well, who told you that? And how did they find out? I, I meant to ask you when you were telling me this story when we first started talking. You were selling something, some sort of beauty product with clay? Is that what the story is or is that actually? No, no, I, no, we were. Oh, you some, were? Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Ken Switzer, yeah. the miner guy, he yeah. was out prospecting and they ran into this um, glacier runoff, right? where there was a bunch of this clay stuff and they got the clay and they did a bunch of analyzing on it yeah. and they found out it was good for your skin and stuff like this. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was that what that part was true. Yeah. I see, okay. And yeah. but then it gets connected somehow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got yeah. It. And I don't know who it was a girl who sat there and said that oh yeah, something about Lisa being buried in this spot where this clay is. shit like that is just fucking bullshit. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to make sure gets said or? Maybe back to the polygraph thing. I want people to know that 
always advise not to take it from a pristine lawyer mm -hmm. and I took it anyways and to me that's stepping up to the plate saying hey no here as, as long as the family gets this information as soon as I, that was my deal with them I said as soon as we're done you let the young family know and they said they would so I was like well then I'm gonna do this and I was like I said I was nervous I was nervous and hell like I was nervous yeah because I was like well, what if they're trying to frame me coming up here today I wasn't nervous because you're not I'm not getting framed I'm not you like I'm not on a lie detector test where they can sit there you right. failed Oh yeah, you're a suspect now. So the polygraph is something you wanted to return to. Is there anything else? When I see people gathering for Lisa, mm -hmm. I get, it hurts me because I would like to be there. And because of these rumors, I don't want to get rocks thrown at me and stuff like this and stuff for me to be there. But in the future, if there is a search or whatever, I'd like to be there because I was there since day one. Like I was there, like I had phoned her father up and I asked her father for permission. Who does that? Like who phones up the father of a missing child and says, can I have permission from you? I'm going to the mainland, can I have your permission to hang up 500 posters of your daughter over there? And I did, he said, yeah, he broke down kind of was weeping a bit and I said, no, it's going to be, it's okay, okay. You know, and um, uh, I can, I'll go get the posters made now and I'll go over there and hang them up. I wanted the family to know that, the family to know that somebody cares out there about their daughter being missing. I was just, I was just sad for the family. Police have never publicly named William Curry as a suspect in Lisa Marie Young's disappearance. But as you've heard him say, he has been the subject of rumors for 20 years. And the police did question him and administer a polygraph test. I still don't know what evidence the police would have had in order to ask Willie Curry to take this step. When the police are talking to you, do they ever tell you what, on what basis they want to uh, give you a polygraph? Like, do they ever... I think it was because of the rumors. Just the rumors. Yeah. Because they don't, they don't say, well, you know, we have this person who told you, told us... No. Or anything. No. There's nothing specific. No. That. No. Okay. Just the fact these rumors are flying all over the place and there's... Like, I don't know where people get their crazy thoughts of what they say or anything like that, but um, it gets a little ridiculous after a while, if you ask me. And the thing is, if I went to somebody and said to them, okay, what, what was that you said? They wouldn't fucking say a word. They wouldn't. Even if they, they wouldn't say a word, even if the police were standing beside them. I'll look them right in the eye and I say, now, what did you hear? And what's the truth? And they wouldn't answer because they don't know the fucking truth. Yeah. 
Pardon my, pardon my language. If somebody had to point the finger at me, say about this tape, for instance, if someone sat there and said, oh yeah, this tape, tape, why wouldn't they get it and give it to the police? If they're so big on fingering somebody for it, why not say, here, here, here's your evidence, here's the evidence, go arrest them. If someone says that she's in a well, why doesn't that person take the police out to that well? Like if I walked in a room where, if someone was sitting there talking about this and they were fingering me, I walked in that room, they wouldn't sit there and say, you're a fucking murderer. No, they'd shut up, they wouldn't say a word. Because it's just not the truth. You know, not, not because I'm big and scary, or I'm not, am I big and scary? Um. And I've always been like this, this is who I am. I got a tattoo there, and one on my shoulder, and a pair of boxing gloves here. That's what I got for tattoos. I'm not all tattooed up or nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. If I go back at some point at home and I listen. Listen, Laura, if you got more questions, yeah. I'll drive up here again. Like, I need to do this. I'm doing it because it's a stand-up thing to do. So I'm not... I got nothing to hide from. Like I said, when I, my drive up here, I was not nervous at all. I said, well, I want to get up here. <laughs> I was speeding to get up here. I was here right on time, right? Yeah. I wanted to meet with William Curry face to face. When he asked me if he is a big, scary guy, I wasn't entirely truthful in my answer. He is, in fact, a bit intimidating to sit down with. But Willie Curry wanted the interview to be in person, and I did too. I thought it would be easier to judge his sincerity. We already talked about how lie detector tests just aren't considered reliable enough to be introduced as evidence in court. And a reporter's gut is likely even less reliable. Yes, I have my own instincts, but instincts can be wrong. My husband is a judge. I asked him what kind of considerations the court uses when assessing credibility. He tells me the courts have recognized a number of factors. Consistency is one of them. Now, I've only spoken with Willie Curry twice now, but his story is largely the same. Police may be able to see inconsistency in his statements, as they would have had prior statements to judge against. Another factor to consider is occasions when a person is untruthful. For example, as you heard earlier in this episode, Bob Gallagher and Willie Curry do not agree on how Willie comes into contact with Lisa's father, Don Young. But it's been 20 years. And that could simply be a mistaken recollection on either of their parts. When weighed with common sense, does the story seem impossible or unlikely? The story Willie told me of him driving around searching for Lisa doesn't really make sense to me when I first hear it. According to Willie, back then, he's a married man with four kids. He's working as a roofer training as a boxer, and running an after-hours nightclub. Why? Why would he devote time to driving on random searches of back roads looking for a girl he doesn't know? The same goes for his odd interaction with Jerry Adair. But then I think about the moment when Willie told me 
that his tough guy image may come from the fact that when someone steals from him or his neighbors, he gets it back. He describes himself as a bit of a vigilante-type character. And sitting across from him in that moment, I believed him to be telling the truth. I could absolutely see him tracking down someone who stole from a friend. I also recall a news story from a few years back in which Curry helps return a lost ring to its owner. There is also consideration given to whether there is a motive to lie or mislead. And of course, in this case, the motive is clear. Willie Curry wants to put an end to rumors of his involvement in Lisa's case. Now, the court also considers a person's demeanor. Are they evasive, belligerent? In this case, I would describe Willie Curry's demeanor as cooperative. His tone is neutral for most of my time with him. He tells me he's not nervous, but he does seem a little anxious at the outset. And he gets visibly angry and frustrated on a couple of occasions, his face darkening, frothing a little. But I don't have a baseline to compare his demeanor with. And there are other explanations which could explain this. Talking to a reporter in this circumstance would agitate most people. I'll be curious to hear what conclusions you come to after listening to this interview. You can get in touch through the Island Crime Facebook page. I'm Laura Palmer, and this is an update to Where is Lisa? Island Crime, Season 1. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. 
I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.